Well, friends, is there any better place that we could be right now than hearing about the person and work of our beautiful, wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? To sing together, to confess our faith together, to hear the gospel together, to enjoy the sacraments together, to be together. There's just no better place for the Lord's people to be. Amen to that. Well, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we finish our series through the book of Acts, through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Like I said last week, it's been such a privilege to, to take this journey with you, to follow the Apostle Paul as he preached the gospel all over the world. And today we will finish our study of this amazing book. Our scripture passage today is Acts 28, verses 17 through 31. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, words that were written for you and written for me. After three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews when they had gathered. He said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, meaning Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, for Paul, they came to Paul at his lodging in greater numbers. They're now in Rome, of course. From morning until evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul lived there two whole years in Rome at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, friends, you know that a, a good ending can really make or break a story. A good ending can make or break a story. Recently I saw, this is interesting, recently I saw fan reaction. That's kind of a thing these days. Maybe it's been a thing for a while, but I recently became aware that like, like showing a video of a fan reaction to various things is kind of a thing. And I saw fan reaction to the ending of the latest Star Wars spinoff show called The Mandalorian. Who here has seen that? Raise your hand. Okay, we don't have really a Star Wars group this morning. That's okay. I will say I've talked to our, our younger preachers before. Like, be very careful about some of these obscure pop culture references, you know. None of this is in the sermon, by the way. Um, number of years ago, I started, I quoted a lot from the Lord of the Rings and things like that. And so I was also leading a small group at the time. And I asked the guys what they thought of the Lord of the Rings and things like that. They said, we have no idea who Frodo is, Bilbo is. We don't know what you're talking about. So I started to do that less and less. But here we are. You'll see how this tie in, ties in at the end. Anyway, I saw this fan reaction. I think it was episode 14 of this Star Wars spinoff show. I watched the fan reaction to the last episode and it was, it was amazing. It was very interesting. The people were, were weeping. They were cheering. They just, they just couldn't believe what they were witnessing. It was awesome. My family, we also saw the ending to episode 14 and thought it was, it was pretty wonderful as well. But in terms of the perfect ending, in terms of the perfect ending to a book, Luke's ending to the book of Acts just doesn't seem to deliver on the surface. It doesn't seem to pack a punch. I think if you could have watched a video of the first century fan reaction to the end of Acts, you would have seen some very confused looks. Wait, it ends like this? Very anticlimactic, it seems, on the surface. Here's what I mean. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you will know that the end of Acts, the last third of Acts, is exclusively caught up and composed of what happens to the Apostle Paul after he's arrested in Jerusalem and he's on his way to Rome. Luke tells us about Paul's arrest, his trials before Felix and Festus and Herod Agrippa. We read about Paul's appeal to Caesar and the shipwreck, the very dramatic shipwreck that almost ended everything. We are on our way to Rome. Paul survived and now he's there. He's awaiting trial before Nero. Would he be declared innocent or guilty? Would he be set free or put to death? Those are the questions we think are going to be resolved. How does it all work out for our beloved friend Paul? Well, guess what? We don't know. We don't know anything about what happens to Paul the way that Luke ends the book. Okay? He tells us nothing whatsoever regarding how things ultimately work out for Paul. So why did Luke take us on this journey? Why did he build up so much only to not tell us what happens to our beloved friend? Keep in mind, most scholars think that Luke 
wrote the book of Acts many years after Paul was acquitted and went on to about four or five more years of ministry. So why doesn't Luke tell us that? Why doesn't he tell us that Paul was freed and acquitted and probably went to Spain over the next two, three, four, five years that he took the gospel to the ends of the earth? Why doesn't he mention any of that? Seems a bit anticlimactic. Well, let's look at our text and consider what we can learn here. And by the end, here's what I would say. I think by the end you'll agree that Luke ends this book perfectly. It is the perfect, the most appropriate way that that man could have ended this amazing, amazing text. So without reading the passage again, here's what happened. If you look at the, uh, look at the text. In verses 17 through 22, Luke tells us that after three days, after three days in Rome, Paul invites the local Jewish readers, as was his custom. After Paul gets to Rome, he waits three days and he invites all of the local Jewish leaders. These are, these are not Christian Jews. He invites all of the local Jewish leaders to come and talk to him, to hear about why he's in Rome. He gives them the background to his case. He shares that he's not guilty of the charges that were brought against him. And then he schedules another meeting so that he could share the true reason he's on trial. Why did he indicate that all this is happening to him. It was because of his hope. It was because of the hope of Israel. That's what he shares. If you look at your text in verses 23 through 28, Luke tells us what happened at that second meeting. Luke writes that these Jews, they come to this next meeting now in greater numbers. Word has gotten out. Paul has given this invitation far and wide. So it's more than just the local leaders of the synagogues in Rome. The Jews came in greater numbers. And Paul spent literally all day from sunup to sundown trying to demonstrate to them how Jesus of Nazareth was in fact the Christ of the Old Testament. Okay? He looked at the Torah. He looked at the Pentateuch. He looked at other sections of Scripture and explained that Jesus was the Christ. Now I think this would have been a fascinating meeting to have attended. I think it would have been amazing to have been a fly on that wall. I think it would have been mesmerizing to watch Paul make his case that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was in fact the hope of Israel. I think there was also a lot of cross-examination. I don't think it was just a monologue from Paul to these Jewish leaders. I think there was a lot of back and forth. I think there were lots of questions and Paul's subsequent answers. I've been a part of many presbytery meetings and I wonder if it was kind of like that. I have seen rigorous debate between extremely thoughtful and scholarly men going back and forth debating a theological issue. I've seen our own beloved Dave Cleland hold forth at many a presbytery meeting making this point and that. I'm sure there was a good deal of back and forth from the top Jewish minds of the day to Paul and Paul's response, their rejoinder, Paul's answer. It would have been incredible. But they were there primarily to hear from Paul and hear from Paul they did. One could argue that they heard the very best 
presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is humanly possible. They weren't there for a short time. It wasn't brief. It wasn't hurried. They heard about Jesus as the hope of Israel from morning till night from perhaps the best apologist who has ever lived. You know, sometimes after you've shared your faith or talked to someone about Christ and you think about it later, you wish you would have said this or that. Or maybe you wish you would not have said this or that. You wish you would have gone into this or focused in another area. A number of years ago, I was playing tennis with a fella and on a break from play, he asked me um, a question about what, if anything, would make me doubt my faith. On a changeover, he said, David, what, if anything, could ever make you doubt your faith? Um, and without going into exactly what I said, I think I did a very poor job of answering that question. I won't give you all the reasons now, but I really, in retrospect, um, I'm very sad and regretful about it. I mean, I did the best I could and I said what came to mind. But in hindsight, it's just not the direction I should have gone. And I greatly regret it. I feel like it was a lost opportunity. Well, I don't think that's the case here. As Paul preaches the gospel from sunup to sundown, I think he gave the best presentation possible. In spite of that, and this is kind of encouraging in an odd sort of way. Despite that, Luke records that some believed and others didn't. I think Luke implies that it was only a minority who responded in faith to the message that he preached. And preached it in a strange kind of way. I think that's encouraging. Okay, to, you know, because if, if the Apostle Paul had all day, okay, and he could carefully thoughtfully, slowly, deliberately go through the key texts of the Old Testament and preach Christ. And if some of the most learned men in Israel weren't convinced, that shows that it's not up to us. It's not our rhetorical prowess. It's not our fancy arguments. Ultimately, belief is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean people aren't responsible. That doesn't mean God doesn't hold people accountable for what they do with the gospel message. But the Holy Spirit has to be at work. You know, I think it would have been very interesting if we could have interviewed people as they left the meeting. Okay, if there would have been someone there from the local news to interview and ask some of those Jewish rabbis, what about Paul's case wasn't convincing? Why don't you believe that Jesus is the hope of Israel? How do you understand your conception of Messiah differently from Paul? Wouldn't that have been interesting to find out what they thought about Paul's presentation that was lacking, unconvincing, unpersuasive? I think that would have been fascinating to see the ways their minds worked. Well, this past week I was, I was doing some research on this sermon and I looked up, I googled, like, rabbinical response to the claim of Christians that Jesus is the Messiah. And ultimately what came up was a series of incredible, thoughtful, 
present-day rabbis who answered the question why they did not believe that Jesus is the Christ of God. And they thoughtfully, carefully explained why they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. And it wasn't because they hadn't been properly evangelized, if, if you will. They, they were well aware of what the Christian claim is concerning Jesus Christ. And I watched a number of interviews. And their answers can be boiled down to three reasons that they do not believe that Jesus is the Christ of God. Reason number one, in their minds, it's inconceivable that the transcendent God of the universe could ever become man. Like, like in their minds, like, like philosophically, okay, they, they, they have a belief at the outset that the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew God, he is immaterial. He has no body. He cannot have a body. And he's transcendent. He's other. He's outside of our experience, outside of space and time. And therefore, the incarnation is impossible in their minds. There's no way that any human being could at the same time be 100% man and 100% God. So kind of at the outset, Jesus is disqualified because the Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth is 100% God and 100% man. And they just won't go there. In their minds, the transcendence of God precludes the possibility that Jesus could be the Messiah. Number two, and you've heard some of these before, but it was interesting to hear them articulate this. The reason I'm sharing this is because I think there's a lot of overlap in these answers, okay, and the Jews that were there listening to Paul. I think their reasons for disbelieving in the gospel that Paul preached is very similar to, to modern-day scholars, modern-day rabbis. They can't conceive that Yahweh God Almighty could be a man, okay? They cannot conceive, rabbi after rabbi mentioned, they just could not conceive of the possibility of Messiah dying. They can't go along with the Christian claim that Messiah came to die and that he's coming again in power and glory. This one rabbi in particular kept saying, we don't have a conception. There is no room for a second coming. When Messiah comes, he's coming to get the job done. When Messiah comes, he's coming to bring all the Jews back to Israel and rebuild the temple and bring peace to the world. And Jesus of Nazareth did not do that. And last but not least, and this shocked me. It shouldn't have shocked me, but it shocked me. One rabbi said, the Jewish Messiah would never replace redemption by works in the Torah with justification by grace through faith. He said, and I quote, the idea of justification by faith, that we are made right with God by trusting in his Messiah, was an invention of the Apostle Paul and totally foreign to the Old Testament. He understood God's law, God's Torah, as being eternal and that people are redeemed. They are saved by trusting in their works of obedience to the Torah. So it's those three reasons. God is transcendent. 
The Messiah cannot die and me or we are made right with God by obeying the Torah. That's why they will not consider Jesus as the Messiah. So on the surface, when you watch these videos, and I encourage you to do so when you watch these videos, it seems that they are, it seems that they are rejecting Jesus of Messiah purely for intellectual reasons. But do you think it's just for purely intellectual reasons that they reject Jesus as the Messiah? Paul didn't think so. And when a number of the people that were there listening to him did not believe, Paul explained it through the lens of Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, if you look at the text. Luke tells us in Acts 28, 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed. When did they depart? They departed after. See, Paul had witnessed that some believed and others didn't. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. Paul said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And Paul's going to quote from Isaiah 6 verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord told to Isaiah before he commissioned Isaiah to his ministry. The Lord was preparing for Isaiah for the fact that very few people were going to respond to his message. That the people were going to reject his message in unbelief. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. See, this is willful. This is a moral rejection. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. What Paul is saying is that same obstinate, stubborn, hard-hearted spirit. That same willful disobedience that led the people to reject Isaiah was sadly still alive and present in Paul's day and was the foundational reason why they were rejecting him as well. And so it's not only just intellectual, there is this stubbornness, this hard-heartedness that led them to reject Jesus as Messiah. And so Paul was moving on. He was moving on to the Gentiles. Who would listen? We are the heirs of that promise. When Paul proverbially shook the dust from his feet and his wish mission went to the Gentiles. And here we are over 2,000 years later, the heirs of that mission. Is it not heartbreaking to look at the synagogues all around us that are empty, almost, almost like museum-like in their quality and character? It's amazing how many synagogues are used today. They, they rent them out to schools so that they can pay the bills and, and, and how many few people are actually actively involved. And here we have churches all over Texas filled with Gentiles 
who want to respond to the truth of the gospel, we see the book of Acts being lived out and carried out to this very day. And we pray that God would show the same grace and mercy to these precious Jewish people today as he does to us. I'll end with this. Let's go back to the fan reaction and why there was such emotion at the ending of this show. For those of you who saw it, you know why there was this weeping and clapping and shouting at the end of the show. Why was there? It's because the hero, it's because Luke Skywalker finally came back in power and might and he saved the day. I'm seriously, I'm watching the fan reaction. People are weeping, they are screaming, they are yelling when they recognize the green lightsaber. Oh, it's Luke, it's Luke. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. My brother-in-law thinks I'm a nerd right now. That's okay. But there was this visceral reaction. Why? It's because we're all drawn to that storyline. It's hardwired into who we are to long for the day that the hero comes back in power and glory and makes things right. That's why that storyline is so compelling. Even when it's played out in other plots, we resonate with that. We love that. We long for that. And that's why Luke ends the book the way that he does. Because it was never ultimately about Paul or his trial. The book of Acts is about the message of Jesus Christ going out to the ends of the earth unhindered. You know what the last? I've got goosebumps saying this. The last word in the book of Acts is the word unhindered. Let's look at that together and we'll end with this. This is how Luke ends this beautiful, wonderful book. He, Paul, lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And here's this, this Greek word, without hindrance. That is what? this book is about. It is about the power of God in Christ Jesus going to the ends of the earth without hindrance. Okay, without being bound. The word of God is powerful and effective. And all we're called to do is share that message in love and humility and grace and leave the results to him. I'll end with this, and this was sad. When I watched this video, one of the rabbis said, for Jesus to have come when he did would be like giving penicillin to someone who wasn't sick. For Jesus to come when he did would be like giving penicillin to someone who wasn't sick, and therein lay the problem. The Jews were very sick. Indeed, all of us were sick. And we need a Savior. And the book of Acts talks about that Savior and his message going out unhindered. May God be with you as you preach Christ and share his grace and mercy to a lost and dying world. And that message goes out today unbound and unhindered. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. We are amazed. We are amazed at the at, at this thread of redemption that is sown in Genesis 3.15 and comes to fullest expression in the new covenant and how it explodes all over the world 
We thank you that really Acts is a book that's never done. The last chapter is being written today as the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached in high and holy, literally all over the world to this very day. Father, we thank you for the work of grace that you have done in our hearts. Father, we pray for, for many of our Jewish friends who have a veil over their hearts who don't believe. Father, we pray that you would do with our precious Jewish friends what you have done with us. Give us a soft heart, a changed heart, a saved heart. Father, give us the grace and the boldness to share the message of Christ to a dark and dying world. Father, we thank you for the role that you gave Paul to play in this great kingdom enterprise. Father, give us a role to play as well. Help us, enable us to participate in your great kingdom work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.